0: 5 Movies Based on Real Possession Cases We enjoy movies for their entertainment value, but sometimes the stuff we love to watch is inspired by more sinister real-life roots. The horror films in this list are already disturbing, but they become more terrifying when you realize that they actually happened. These are 5 movies based on real possession cases. Number 5. The Conjuring Based on the Perron Family After moving into a quaint farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island in 1970, Roger and Caroline Perron along with their five daughters thought they had finally found their dream home, but they were wrong. Almost as soon as they moved in, weird and unusual things began happening. Their family dog, Sadie, refused to go inside the house, and she was later found dead in the backyard. All the clocks inside would stop at 3.07 a.m. every single night. While living there, the family reported seeing a mix of both good and bad ghosts. There were ghosts who smelled of flowers, while another would give the children a goodnight kiss in bed. They'd often hear sweeping noises in the kitchen, and find that the broom had been moved from one spot to another, and a neat pile of dirt freshly swept ready for the trash. But there were also horrible spirits and apparitions that tormented the family. They would pinch, slap, and pull the children's hair. One particular male spirit may have even molested some of the young girls, although this was never fully confirmed. Another prominent entity that specifically tormented Caroline was that of Bathsheba Sherman. Bathsheba was thought to be a practicing Satanist and witch that lived in the home during the 19th century. She also died on the property hanging herself in a tree just behind the barn. During her life, she was described as an outcast after being suspected of killing her own child as a sacrifice to Satan. Her baby's body was found impaled through the head, using a large sewing needle. Bathsheba was also a brutal master, often torturing, beating, and starving the household help. Inside the Peron household, it was clear Bathsheba had favorites as well and showed a liking for Roger. She would caress his back and was often playful with him, while at the same time making Caroline's life miserable by pinching, slapping, and throwing objects at her. At one point, Caroline was awoken by a sharp pain in her leg, only to find a bleeding, punctured wound as if a needle had stuck her. Despite the repeated attacks, Caroline refused to leave the home and soon Bathsheba would possess Caroline completely, moving her to do things and speak in a different voice to the horror of her husband and daughters. After this incident, the Perrons contacted the help of Lorraine and Ed Warren. It was at the Warrens' suggestion that the malevolent entity tormenting them was Bathsheba. But unlike the 2013 film The Conjuring, The real-life story of the Perron family did not have a happy ending. When the Warrens showed up and tried to help, they only angered Bathsheba even further. As a result, the Perrons had to ask the Warrens to leave, and Bathsheba finally stopped possessing Caroline, yet maintained her presence in the household. Because of financial constraints, the Perrons could not move out of the home for ten whole years. Since then, the new owners have reported experiencing the same paranormal phenomenon, from loud banging on the doors to mysterious voices talking in the room when no one's there, and more. Today, the home itself still stands. Number 4. Deliver Us From Evil, based on Ralph Sarchi's memoir Deliver Us From Evil is a 2014 film about an NYPD cop who encounters a series of bizarre supernatural events while on the job, leading him to transition from the world of human crime to the supernatural. The film starts with three marines who discover an underground cavern in Iraq. As they explore it, they start to scream as their helmet video feed suddenly goes black. Three years later, we meet NYPD officer Ralph Sarchi standing over a baby's corpse in a dark alley. This starts the investigation into a series of unusual cases that are somehow connected to the three marines first seen at the start of the film. While many of the details in the movie are purely fictional and written for Hollywood, the story of the cop turned demon hunter is actually based on real-life NYPD sergeant Ralph Sarchi and his book Beware the Night. Sarchi had spent 20 years working for the NYPD in some of the most dangerous areas of Brooklyn and Manhattan. As he put it, for much of his career, he spent his days doing his regular job and his off hours doing the work, which was investigating unusual cases of possession and performing exorcisms. In his book, he compiles various stories of his encounters while doing the work. Some of these stories included are that of a young girl beset by a demonic incubus, the neighbors from hell, literally, and the rituals of Myobi priests, among many others. Sarchi prides himself for not charging a single cent for doing his work as a demonologist and exorcist, believing that it is his true calling. While many people don't believe him, there are also those that do. Regardless, he doesn't seem phased by the non-believers and just laughs it off. He firmly believes in his work and says that as long as God wants him to keep doing it, he will continue on. The movie Deliver Us From Evil stars Eric Bana as Sarchi, following him as he investigates paranormal occurrences that often overlap with his daily job as a cop. As mentioned, the majority of the story included in the book has been changed and reimagined for film. The movie eventually became a success at the box office and grossed more than $88 million worldwide. Number three, The Possession, inspired by the haunted Dybbuk box. In the 2012 film, The Possession, the story revolves around a haunted Dybbuk box that falls into the possession of a young girl. When Clyde and Stephanie Brennick separated, they had to take turns caring for their two children, M and Hannah. When Clyde went over to pick up the kids, they passed by a yard sale where M was intrigued by an old wooden box with Hebrew writing on it. Clyde then buys it, but they can't figure out exactly how to open it. Later that evening, M hears whispering coming from the box, and she manages to get it open. Inside is a tooth, a dead moth, a ring, and a wooden figurine. She begins wearing the ring and that's when her behavior starts to change. She ends up stabbing her dad with a fork during breakfast and becomes violent towards a classmate when he attempts to take the box from her. Throughout the film, M becomes increasingly violent and Clyde seeks the help of a Jewish priest to exercise the evil spirit since the final stage of the possession means it will take over M's body, becoming one with it. In the end, an exorcism is performed successfully, and the Dybbuk is sealed back into the box. The story of cursed objects is nothing new, but what's unusual with the Dybbuk box is that an actual demon supposedly lives within it, and it exists in real life. A Polish holocaust survivor named Havela acquired the box in Spain before she immigrated to the United States. She had kept it inside her sewing cabinet untouched for years, and it wasn't until her death in 2003 when the box was placed for bidding at an estate sale. Kevin Manis ended up purchasing it along with several other items. Manis owned an antique furniture refinishing business and it wouldn't be long before the box began wreaking havoc on his life. Less than 30 minutes after bringing the box to his workshop, he received a call from his salesperson saying that someone was in there, smashing things and that she was locked inside. When Manis arrived, all the doors were locked, yet he couldn't find the intruder. He did find crushed bulbs and the smell of cat urine despite having no animal inside. The salesperson was so frightened, she quit the same day after two years on the job. Manis eventually opened the box and found two 1920s pennies, a lock of blonde and black hair, a statue with the word Shalom engraved on it, a dried rosebud, a small gold wine goblet, and a four-legged candle holder. Soon Manis began experiencing nightmares about friends and family members becoming demons. He tried giving away the box, but whoever took it would always end up returning it. He wasn't sure what to do with it or how to destroy it, so he decided to sell it on eBay, citing his reasons and giving the buyer fair warning about the demon inside. The box is passed on from buyer to buyer, as each one reported experiencing unusual phenomena when the box was in their possession. The current owner, Jason Haxton, eventually consulted various rabbis on how to reseal the Dybbuk inside again. He has said that he has since kept the demon sealed inside and stores it in a secret location that he refuses to reveal to anyone. Number two. The Entity, based on Doris Bither. First released in 1982, The Entity starred Barbara Hershey as Carla Morin, a woman being consistently raped and tortured by a malevolent spirit inside her home. Urged by a friend, Carla went to see a psychiatrist and undergo therapy, thinking the problem was psychological. But her psychiatrist believes that because of her past, The problem was purely self-inflicted. Soon her friend Cindy witnesses the attack herself, and they begin to discuss that the issue could be supernatural. By chance, she meets a parapsychologist in a bookstore who agrees to study the home after she mentions it was haunted. After more vicious attacks happen, Carla is desperate for a solution and agrees to an experiment proposed by the parapsychologist whereby they will attempt to freeze the entity using liquid helium. However, as the entity arrives and manifests itself, it takes control of the liquid helium and attempts to hurt Carla again. This time she stands up to it saying it can never have her, and they see the entity freeze for a brief moment before escaping. The movie based around Carla Morin might be terrifying, but this story of possession was in fact based on the experience of a lady named Doris Bither. Doris was a mother of four children, one girl and three boys. From the moment they moved into their Culver City home, a mysterious woman knocked on her door, warning her that her house was evil. When Doris asked why, the lady simply walked away without saying anything more. Doris had a rough life suffering physical and sexual abuse at a young age, and she resorted to alcohol and substance abuse as a means to self-medicate. When she met parapsychologists Dr. Barry Taff and Carrie Gaynor and told them about her home, they were skeptical but decided to check it out. It wasn't until they got there when Doris shared her story of spectral rape. She said the smaller two would hold her down while a bigger entity would sexually abuse her, they weren't sure whether to believe her until she showed the bruises she had on her thighs and had interviews with the children as well as the neighbors, both of which reported seeing multiple apparitions inside the home. The children had seen and bumped into these entities so frequently that they dubbed the most prominent one as Mr. Who's It. To find the source of the phenomenon, the investigators decided to set up equipment and cameras inside Doris's bedroom. All of the investigators were crammed inside, and they had Doris summon the beings. She began cursing and yelling at them, and soon enough, various orbs and lights began manifesting in the room. She continued to provoke them, and in one corner of the room, a green mist began to swirl and started to take the form of a male with a muscular torso. Upon seeing this manifestation, one of the investigators actually fainted right there on the spot. The apparition wasn't captured on camera, but they did catch a unique streak of light forming an arc above Doris while she sat on the bed. Doris and her family eventually left the home, but she claimed that despite leaving, the entities continued to follow and attack her. The attacks weren't as violent as before, but Doris continued to remain haunted up until the day she died. Her own son claimed that as she passed away, Various orbs of light, like those found in her home on Braddock Drive, surrounded her. Number 1. The Haunting in Connecticut, based on Carmen Snedeker. The Haunting in Connecticut is a 2009 film loosely based on the real-life story of Carmen Snedeker and her family. In the movie, Sarah and Peter Campbell are looking for a rental home close to the hospital where their son Matthew had been receiving cancer treatments. Sarah spots a man putting an up-for-rent sign on a large home, and he offers her a month off if she would rent the property right away, and she agrees. So Peter, along with his other son Billy and two nieces, arrive, and they each pick their choice for a bedroom. Matt, the eldest son, chose the basement with a mysterious door. He soon suffers various visions of a man and corpses with various symbols embedded into their skin. Peter then learns that the house used to be a funeral home and the door in the basement was actually the mortuary. Matt begins to act and behave strangely, scratching the walls until his fingers bleed and even became violent. Eventually they found out the man who used to own the mortuary regularly held seances and psychic research and that dead bodies were buried in the walls of the home to tether the spirits. The film culminates with Matt saving his family by sacrificing himself to free the spirits. The house is burnt down and the spirits released while Matt manages to return to his body. In real life, these unusual circumstances happen to the Snedeker family. They had moved from upstate New York to Connecticut to live closer to the hospital where their son Philip was receiving treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma. Carmen, the mother, denied being informed their new rental home used to be a funeral parlor, but the property owner insisted she was told this. Eventually, they would discover the remains of the funeral parlor in the basement, including a coffin lift that led to a trap door in the master bedroom. Other items like toe tags, head tags, as well as personal effects belonging to those that died were also found. Carmen's son, Philip, suffered a personality change while living there and began keeping a diary with very dark and violent imagery written in it. He grew angry towards his siblings and cousins, which forced Carmen to commit him to a mental institution. The family was also haunted by apparitions and reported seeing a man with high cheekbones and long black hair. Another man who had white hair was seen wearing a pinstripe tuxedo. Carmen reported being suffocated by the shower curtain one day, while her niece Wendy was groped by a male entity. After the repeated disturbances, the family contacted paranormal researchers Ed and Lorraine Warren. They believed that the funeral workers conducted necrophilia on the corpses, which resulted in the evil presence within the home. Suffering through the torment, the family finally managed to move out of the house after two years and didn't suffer any more strange experiences after that. So there were five movies based on real possession cases. Possession cases may be rare, but they do happen. And when they do... It can take hold of anyone, maybe even someone you know and love. If you like this video, then remember to subscribe to our channel, because each week we have new videos coming out that we know you'll love. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.